Hi, everyone. My name is Susan Davis, and I am here with Liz Richardson, and I'm going to be asking her a few questions today about her journey. Um, Liz it has an extensive background in customer marketing, and she is an advocacy executive. She has started her own um, company called Captivate Collective, and so we're going to hear a little bit about that today. And so I am going to hand it over to you, Liz. Just start off by asking, tell, tell me about your journey, uh, how you got to Captivate Collective, and a little bit about what Captivate Collective is. That's a big question, Susan. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to meet you. And Susan and I just realized we're the same Wheaton class. We thought so we're so amazing. It, it, it is a big, it, it's a big, long question. So I will try to truncate it for you since, as you know, um, I never even envisioned myself in some sort of office job until long after college. Um, as I was a music major through college and into grad school. And I think it was leaving grad school in 2006 from the University of Southern California, um, where I, I didn't exactly know what the next step was. I knew I didn't really want to teach and a lot of music majors go into teaching. Um, I still love to perform, um, but I had a sister who was out at a, a startup tech company and she said, hey, if you don't know what you're doing yet, come move out here, come work at this tech startup. There's a lot of energy. And I had no real concept of technology companies or startups or anything like that. So I handed it over that way. And um, one thing led to another. I started at the front desk and, and within less than a year, I said, you guys, I'm bored out of my mind. You have to give me more to do. And they said, hey, why don't you do this kind of new thing called Google Ads, where we built our whole company on Google Ads. Why don't you manage this program mm -hmm. for us? I, I did love that. But my journey kind of goes from uh, messaging, which marketing is messaging and connecting from the, the one to many, where you would see advertising being one to many. Um, but then I was like, you know what? I, I, I like social media. I know a lot of B2B companies aren't using social media, but I think we have a play here. Um, so smaller group, social group, and then community. Our company needs community. Let's build a closer, tighter circle with our customers. And then I discovered this uh, wonderful, and at that time, very new practice called customer advocacy. Um, and customer advocacy is simply the concept of who is more believable, you as a brand or your customers who are using and benefiting from your products. And um, as we all kind of know in this day and age, we say, oh, of course, the customer. Well, that's because our society is really peer driven. And part of that has been driven by social connectedness through technology. Um, and so how do you get into these conversations? Because people aren't going straight to a vendor and saying, hey, um, tell me more about you. Are you a good fit? Right? Like we, we all know that they're going to be biased and they're going to say, of course, we're a good fit. Um, but instead, we now go straight to our social circles because we can get tons of feedback in the matter of minutes. Um, and we think it's more reliable to ask someone like, Susan, you seem sort of similar to me. I might ask you, what kind of car are you using that fits all mm -hmm. your kids or all your gear or whatever is in your life at that time. And then I would say, um, 
yes, she's more reliable to tell me if that's a good fit for my life because we have similarities. So how do big companies Mm -hmm. get inside those types of micro conversations? And and that's really where the birth of customer advocacy came about. And um, I, I happened to be able to work for one of the first to market customer advocacy technology companies as their first consultant and leading and growing their services department. And from there, um, a friend, uh, a peer of mine, and I said, you know what, that's still too limited. One technology doing this stuff. We want to look at this practice way beyond any one specific tool or technology. Um, We're heavy into education. We're passionate about this space. Let's go just start our own consultancy and and that is the birth of Captivate Collective. So Susan, it took me a minute wow. to get there. Hopefully that gives a quick overview of my journey from music, which yeah. there's some overlap there. It's not completely, it's not completely gone, but how yeah. I stumbled into this world of startups and technology. Yeah. And that's kind of where I've spent my time for the last, um, you know, it's been a while now, but ever since uh, leaving grad school. Wow, that is that is quite a journey. Um, I'm curious, maybe we can back up to kind of how you made that jump from music major to to a tech startup. What what skills do you feel like either carried over from music um, or just that you picked up in college that you feel like really transferred and allowed you to excel in a role that you didn't study for at all? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And I've thought about it. I really have. I thought about, you know, how do you make that transfer and why did it feel so natural? Why did it feel so easy? And I do think one thing um, as a voice major, which is a little bit different than an instrumentalist, uh, you do emote a lot from a storytelling perspective. And of course, um, instrumentalists storytell as well with the music, but we have the benefit of words and we often have the benefit of acting and storytelling involved in that. So I always loved storytelling um, and loved being a part of that. Um, you know, marketing, which is the the, the kind of area I have landed, um, it, is, it is storytelling, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's how to connect with people, evoke emotion, and tell a story. And customer marketing specifically is connecting with others. As you probably know, people in the arts are big connectors, right? Um, uh, There's uh, this innate sense and need and desire to connect with people. And and then I also happen to be an Enneagram 3. I don't know if anyone out there does Enneagram. I'm a 3. So um, uh, achiever, want want people to love you, want to be friends with everyone. And and that was the perfect fit personality-wise. Um, for someone who is supposed to connect uh, both peers together and brands to to people, human to human, instead of, you know, logo to logo. So this just ended up being a natural fit from a a passion and personality perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And then discovering along the way that leadership and building and designing were all parts of my personality as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have known that way back then, Susan, but it just allowed myself to naturally evolve to that place. Yeah, that's, I'm curious if, um, if you feel like that came out of having maybe a good manager who helped you to Mm. identify that, or if it was an immediate, you know, when you got there and you started doing this, you thought, oh yeah, I can make all these connections. Or did you struggle for a while thinking, 
well, this will just be temporary until <laughs> I find a music role that, you know, I'm, I'm curious what. Um, Absolutely. And that's a totally valid question. <laughs> when I first started my, in, in my first startup, um, it, it was totally temporary. It was, it was totally temporary. And I actually asked them to only work four days a week instead of five so that I could have a full day teaching at a, a university. So I had a voice studio at um, Bellhaven University and taught some vocal performance uh, classes there as well. Um, and then always trying to stay involved in the local opera company or mm -hmm. the local theater companies or semi-professional mm -hmm. theater companies. Um, and, and really that was kind of the main focus. There was definitely a shift. There was a shift. I was kind of just going to work to do work. And then, you know, um, the other stuff is where I was really feeling yeah. that fulfillment and passion. And, and I, I think I did, um, one, it's really interesting that you said I, I did have a really good boss. Um, mm -hmm. I eventually, I had a great boss who I loved, but then I eventually got this boss. Um, she was from DC. She was my uh, a woman, uh, and we were kind of like a team of two. And I don't know if I've ever had a boss who is that good again. She was very direct mm -hmm. and professional, but she was also nurturing and always looking to help advance my work mm -hmm. and. Um, and my skill set and very willing to support all that. And that is kind of at the time where customer advocacy and uh, um, came under my scope. So it was kind of that dual perfect storm of, I had a wonderful boss who was allowing me to explore and be creative and try new things. Cause at that time, not a lot of B2B companies were doing any kind of customer advocacy. So she uh, gave me the space to do that. And then I fell in love with that practice at the same time. And that's when the shift happened. And just to be honest, Susan, it also happened when you're like, oh, I can make way more money, <laughs> way more money over here. Yeah. Just keep investing in this. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, tech is kind of crazy right now. It's, it's a, it's a yeah. nice place to be. And so I found that passion for building those programs and that connection. And then mm -hmm. in my next role, as I took more leadership, I found that passion of building teams and revenue streams and all that kind of stuff. I just like, I like to build things. And so I think that you could take that all the way back to yeah. performance and music and say, mm -hmm. you like to build and create. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is eventually where I landed, just sort of in a different aspect yeah. from where I started. Yeah, that's cool. I, I appreciate just, it was multiple factors that kind of brought that together for you. And I once read a book, it was, it's a, while ago now, but it was called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Mm. And it basically argues, you know, that it's not really about following your passion as in your passion as a, you know, college student, uh, because if a lot of successful people had done that, they would have ended up basically, you know, living out of a van probably. But it's more about just becoming really good at something. And and as you become good at it, um, you you find you enjoy it more. You find, like, to your point, you make more money and have more flexibility in, t in terms of what your options in the job market are. And mm -hmm. I've just always appreciated that perspective of just – and I, I do think, and I'm curious what you think about this, like, I think Wheaton – taught us that to some extent. I think the academic um, rigor and the types of conversations and students we're surrounded by just kind of compelled us to want to be good at things. You talk about being a, an achiever personality on the Enneagram, right? And, and I think 
many Wheaton students have that <laughs> personality type. And so I, I'm curious your thoughts on that in terms of just this striving for excellence, mm -hmm. no matter what it looks like. And mm -hmm. over time, it becomes something that you are passionate about. I think there's two sides to that, Susan. So absolutely, you know, usually, I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but coming to Wheaton, you know, you're kind of like, um, you've been in high school and you've gotten to experience a lot of attention and, mm -hmm. and, oh, you, you're so good. You got to go do this. Right. And you go to Wheaton and, and you find a lot of people who are, are good at those things as well. Um, and for me, you know, I learned how much I didn't know singers get away with a lot, right? They like discover mm -hmm. in high school that they want to sing. So then they're like, yeah, I'm going to become a musician and I'm going to go and, and join that. And they have the ability to do that. And, you know, whereas like a violinist is usually not going to pick up a violin and, and then a few years later go major in that. Um, so when I came to Wheaton, I did have this core group of friends, man, I thought, you know, you think you're a high achiever and then you get around like real high achievers and you're like, oh mm -hmm. my word, these people are had a lot more um, education in some areas than mm -hmm. I did. Um, they were also just really high energy <laughs> and um, they, they were really committed to excellence, right? When, when anyone in our group did it, this is for better or for worse, but right. Like you weren't really ever happy with anything less than an A, like that wasn't really great. <laughs> um, so that's just a ton of high achievers. But so in one way that can spur you, right? Like it mm -hmm. spurs you to the, be as good as you possibly can be. I also think being around high performing people, both at Wheaton and then at, you know, University of Southern California had amazing musicians. I think you also learn some humility as well. Mm -hmm. You learn to look at yourself mm -hmm. a little bit and your skill sets realistically and assess what are my, where do I differentiate and, and shine? Mm -hmm. What am I really good at? And where am I, you know, I'm fine, but that is, is not necessarily any better than that person yeah. next to me. So I think that combination of just really self-awareness and learning along the path, like you just said about that book, like you learn what you're good at, mm -hmm. you invest in what you're good at. And sometimes being around in that environment with all these people who are also amazingly good at what they do, it does help you to start to to pinpoint what am what are my differentiators and what should I lean into where there is more of a gap where I do stand out more. Mm -hmm. That's great. I like that um, piece about humility. <laughs> That's a good reminder of just how we approach our work, how we approach excellence. And um, I think especially as Christians, what that looks like for us uh, and how important that is to bring with us into the workplace and uh, whatever career we pursue. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about uh, your Captivate, Captivate um, Collective and hear kind of what your role is, how that's, what it was like starting your own, venturing out and starting your own business and also just how you've, um, how you've been able to integrate your faith. But maybe you can start first by just kind of telling us a little bit about that journey. Absolutely. It was a crazy one, I will say. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I kind of had made the decision that I, it was time to move on and find the next venture from my, uh, my current job, let's say um, the end of 2019. 
And I had had a colleague and we had always created wonderful things together from like a collegiate perspective. You, you sometimes find people where when you work together, you do really good work. And, mm-hmm. and Dina, my colleague, she, she was one of those. So she had already gone off to kind of do her own solo thing. And honestly, Susan, I was like, I will never work for myself. I never want to like uh, start something that like, that's a little too adventurous mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me. I don't like that pressure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with this corporate kind of environment. Um, but when it was time to make a choice on, on where to move, um, of course, Dina approached and said, hey, now's the time. I mean, we've, all, we've worked together for years in some way or mm-hmm. other. We kind of knew this was going to happen. Like, why don't you come and do this with me? And I really, it was a really hard decision. Um, but I thought, you know what? Um, it's kind of now or never, right? Like where you're getting to the midpoint of your career. Like if you're going to try something that seems outside of your box that you're really not quite comfortable with, but who knows where it might lead, like try now, if it doesn't work out, okay, you know, you you will have tried, you will have known it's not for you and then you can move forward. Um, So I agreed to move on with Dina. Um, What's crazy about that is I gave my notice in April of 2020. So if you guys remember what was going on in April of 2020, yeah, really gave my notice like the week before everything shut down. Um, What's funny, I had colleagues who were, I even had a colleague who called me and was like, I just really don't think you should do this. I'm so worried about you. Um, Because on top of the pandemic, I was eight months pregnant. So it was a really big decision at that point. I guess I was maybe seven months, seven months pregnant. Um, So, you know, starting out on your own, no benefits, like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Lots of thoughts go through your head at that point of, wow, Mm -hmm. this, this is a huge leap. Um, And, but, you know, Dean and I decided, look, if, if we can make it with me, seven months pregnant and a pandemic hitting right now, um, and if we can still make it, then we can probably make it at any time. <laughs> so uh, we just went ahead and to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> we went ahead and went for it. And I mean, um, God really has been so good and provided, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, even when, when you're starting a startup, by the way, uh, you may ha- not be getting as much money as you were a moment ago yeah. when you left your job because you're starting from zero. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been wonderful to see how... I don't know. It has all literally just worked out and, um, and we've been able to create a a lot of success in two years. So we're um, really grateful for that. Congratulations. That that is, that's a huge risk to take in your life. And at that time in the life of the world, in terms of what was going on with COVID and stuff. So that's congratulations. That's, that's a really cool success. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm curious just how you uh, how you feel like you've been able to integrate your faith. You know, Wheaton, I think we talk a lot about integrating faith and yes. learning, integrating that um, you don't, it's not just missionaries who are, who mm. are the advancing the kingdom, right? But that in any sector, in any job, we have a role as Christians. And I'm curious how you feel like that's played out in your career. Oh, it's such a relevant question. And, and I'll be totally frank. I told, I, I've told uh, Tommy the other day, I was like, man, that's just somewhere I still need to put so much thought mm-hmm. and so much effort in still. But even beyond even just owning my own company, but being part of the, the mm-hmm. tech sphere, 
Um, it, it's it's a question I, I, that comes up a lot because um, you know in in general, but especially in the tech sphere, that you don't really talk about your faith or Christianity mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's almost very faux pas. Like mm-hmm. nobody really needs to share too much about that. Is kind of the understanding. So how do you exhibit um, your faith without? Um, you know, being flagged or, or coming across as inappropriate in the workspace or anything like that. And, and so thinking back through it and, and, and also what I can do today, I think a Mm -hmm. lot of it just comes down to those one-on-one personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's, it's about, you know, can I, can I speak into people's lives and can I be someone that is not just a boss or not just um, a colleague, but can I be someone who does truly care? Mm. I think about this a lot and I'm not 100% mm. great at it. But, you know, I think like, oh, Liz, mm. did, you, did you actually think about and pray for your employees t- today? Are, are, are you mm. thinking about what's happening in their personal life? Um, and you, are you really thinking about the importance of what's going on in their personal life and how that is mm. to their own work? Um, and also, um, I think another way to integrate that is, is why there is that bigger purpose. Why, why am I doing this? And, and what's mm-hmm. the, the purpose of grinding it out? Cause I'll be honest, Susan, like I'm grinding it out right now. Like we're mm-hmm. talking 10 to 12 hour days. Like it, it's a grind. Um, and, and that is time away from the family and whatnot, but what's the end goal? The end goal cannot be, and would not be satisfying if it was like, just make, another hundred grand or another hundred grand like that, that is not satisfying. Um, there has to be a purpose and it's not just to be more comfortable. I think, I think at this point, there's a lot of us Christians, especially like Wheaton type Christians, like, um, you have a goal, but sometimes the goal is to be comfortable, like to provide comfort for our children, um, just to make sure that things are comfortable. And it's so easy to get caught in that trap of making more so we can, um, provide security and comfort. But we know as Christians that there is ultimately no security in any kind of um, monetary or physical aspect mm-hmm. here. And, and there is no comfort even without a relationship with Christ. And so I'm constantly, as, as, as someone who's very invested in business, trying to remind myself that this is not the end goal. The end goal is not to build an amazing business. The end goal is really to ensure that I'm doing it um, and the resources that I'm taking from it are being thoughtfully applied to uh, a bigger picture and a bigger purpose. And remember, just, you know, we talk about integration of faith. It may not even be some big thing where you're like, oh, I'm taking everything I'm making and I'm giving right. it to submissions, but constantly remembering that um, this, the purpose is not to excel just for myself. And, and we can get in that trap. I like to excel for the sake of excelling, mm. but to remember that we are excellent at what we do, mm. to shine a light on, on, on God's call to be excellent. Mm. Um, and to exhibit his, his traits and his. Mm-hmm. And so um, if I'm so bad at it, so I feel like I'm being totally hypocritical talking about it, but, but if we mm-hmm. could keep that in mind, when we go to work, then I'm not striving today just to do a good job, to book the deal, to mm-hmm. finish the project or whatever it might be. I'm going to work today to exhibit God's traits, 
um, and to, to, to mimic him. I think that we would, you know, that integration of faith and work, I mean, it would just be so different and so, um, so much more authentic if Mm. we were really reminding ourselves. I think we know it, it's just hard to keep it at the forefront every day. So Mm. to boil that all back, since I rambled there for a minute, I would say it it is those, for me, it's the one-to-one relationships. Yeah. And then it is, and how I can show Jesus to people in my lives in work setting. Yeah. Um, even that if that's not, you know, um, sharing the gospel, um, it, mm-hmm. it, it's in share, sharing God's love and God's care and God's concern for people, mm-hmm. humans. Um, and then also on the flip side is just coming with purpose. And even if that purpose mm-hmm. is just to be um, showing mm-hmm. God's traits more fully, um, if it is to if it is to excel and succeed, what do I do with that success and not getting caught in the trap of succeeding just for the sake of, of succeeding um, mm. but and keeping a bigger um, kingdom purpose in mind at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I really, I just thank you for your transparency and humility in that response. I just, I really appreciate what you said about, um, pursuing our own comfort. I feel that in myself a lot of just, that's my natural tendency and that it shouldn't be. Jesus says count the cost, right? And so we aren't here for making sure we have enough of whatever the material things Mm -hmm. we think we need are, like you said, for the safety of our family or this, you know, comfort of our family. And so I, I appreciate that. And the relational part too. I just think the culture we're in right now does make it really tricky. And it's a constant um, question of are, what are we doing? Are we praying for our coworkers? Are, how are we reaching out to them and showing them the love of Christ? And so it is, it's, um, it's not straightforward. And I think, you know, prob- maybe you felt this to some extent too, but maybe in college, we thought it was going to be easier um, or had kind of a different picture of what it might look like. And so it's, it's not a clear cut. It's not a clear cut approach. It's, it's not. And, you know, there's some days where I'm like, ah, oh, you're just not, you're not doing enough. You're, you're yeah. not open enough, right? Like you, you should just be, there's got to be more, more of that. And then there are some days where I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't, I don't feel like I have all the skills. And I think that's so important. People who are doing work to help prepare people of like, mm-hmm. Where, where, how do we approach this? Because the culture has changed so much. There's a wonderful book I just read by John Michael Kummer. It's called Live No Lies. And um, he he talks about how uh, very astutely showcases how, you know what, we're really in a post-Christian world. Like mm-hmm. we, we are to the point where we're on the other side of mm-hmm. uh, a Western world that was kind of founded around Christian principles and it was very accepted. And, and now we're in a post-Christian Christian world. I don't think a lot of us know how to navigate that very well. And, and you and I are, our generation, we're kind of on the forefront, right? Like it, there's been a large shift um, lately about how open and willing people are uh, to hearing this kind of thing or um, uh, sharing personal or spiritual beliefs. People don't do a whole lot of that anymore. And so I feel, I feel like our generation is we're, we're now we're trying to figure this out together. What does it mean when there's rules and regulations and all this kind of stuff? But I, I do think that 
at the end of the day, how you resolve conflict, how, how you mm -hmm. care for someone when they're doing poor work. What, what's the approach to that? How, how mm -hmm. should you go about that? Um, you know, uh, there's, there's just so many aspects. Like I, I get totally worn out and then how do I respond mm -hmm. at home? Um, because I have a whole other job. It's called being a mom. So, so how, how do we respond in all these ways? I guess the answer to everything is it's, it is, you know, what, what, how do we exhibit Christ in all mm -hmm. these situations? And of course, it's impossible to be, I mean, it's so impossible to be perfect in any way, shape or form, but that is how we integrate our faith in, into everything we're doing. It's like every decision, everything, just yeah. like our personal lives. That's how we exhibit ourselves in work as we think about how we are called to behave and respond and commune with others. So mm -hmm. that, that, I guess that's the best I've gone on that question. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a great answer. And I think, you know, go even circling back to your comment on humility, right? It's this, what are we going to God on a regular basis saying, how can we show our coworkers the love of Christ? How can we exhibit the traits of God in the workplace? Um, and I think there's humility in that, realizing that we're not perfect, uh, realizing that we need Christ working in us and through us to um, to really make an impact in that way. And we're going to stumble, stumble through it. Um, but I do think People have had a hard couple of years, and I, I, I think people are open in different ways, uh, despite mm -hmm. the brokenness that we see around us. Well, maybe because of the brokenness yes, we see yes. around us, uh, that we, if we are, um, if if we are in in step with the spirit, or if we are really pursuing that um, desire of showing Christ through through our work and in the workplace, I think uh, the Lord is going to do great things. So um, I want to, I, yeah, thanks again for that answer. Cause I think it was a great answer, but I want to wrap up. Um, and so I want to give you a chance looking back at now, I guess not just shy of 20 years wow. in post-college. I know it makes me feel really old. Uh, just, just shy of 20 years working in the workplace in a secular um in a secular career, secular mm -hmm. job, what advice do you have? Sorry, my cat wants to say <laughs> what, what advice do you have for people who might be listening in terms of uh, your journey or maybe some lessons mm -hmm. that you've learned? Yeah. Uh, lessons that I have learned. <laughs> I think it is, uh, it, it, it is, a couple things. I'll give you two. So one, I know people worry about their major and then where they come out on the other end. And that I do know people also accept now that um, it's more about learning to think and learning about yourself and who you are than necessarily exactly where you focus. But I will say, I mean, I had a dramatic shift. Like I said, I, I didn't dream I would ever sit behind a desk. I never even pictured it. It was just never even crossed my mind. And I would never have guessed that this is what I'd be doing and where I would be at. But I, I found that I was good at something unexpected in my life. And mm -hmm. well, one, one, and the other path I thought I was going down was way harder <laughs> than I expected it would be as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, you can look back and, and feel, oh, guilt, I put so much time 
into this thing? Why am I not doing this thing at, or making a career out of this thing that I invested so much time and energy and effort into? But I think that um, you don't need to feel that. You need to look and see where has God led me and all the pieces fit together, even if it seems like, whoa, that was a big, that was a big dramatic shift. All of those pieces are, are God working in your life, being part of your story where it is, and then leading your story into the next direction. And the important part is just seeing God's faithfulness through all of that. Um, and where he, he knew you and your skill sets way better than you knew your own and was able to, I mean, against all odds, take you to a place and a, a purpose that you had no, no idea you were even built for. So um, just trusting in God's faithfulness, regardless of where your career is taking you, regardless if it seems like you don't know what the next step is. Um, I think that is that is one thing there. And then um, things. Uh, another thing I wish I had known is is just to um, to keep everything in, in perspective and everything in its place. Um, mm. Again, I'm going to be hypocritical here because I'm terrible at this. I've even had people tell me I'm terrible at this, but it's, you know, it can, a uh, career can be a very consuming thing and the desire to excel in your career can become a very consuming thing. Um, and it can start to feel like you're on a bit of a, a race because you're never at the level you want to be at because there's always the next level and there's the next level and there's always someone else to compare to, you know, if I could just get to that that place that would be enough security enough success enough comfort for my family enough trips in the summer right that i, I can afford without having to think about it but again um if, if you're feeling your your you know we're holistic creatures mm -hmm. um, we have work but we also have relationships and we have spiritual connection with god and we have um giving and all, all sorts of hobbies etc um you know if you put too much of yourself and your happiness into one of those, if you imagine a pie chart and there's all these different things, you know, if, if I'm feeling a 10 in my career, but all these other things in the pie chart are feeling like a two and a three and a, and a one, uh, guess what happens when your career becomes shaky? Well, it, it starts to feel like everything is not right. And that's because we are putting so much emphasis on, on that one piece. Um, but we know as Christian, that's, that's out of balance and that's out of focus. We still fall into the trap. Um, it's very natural. It really sucks you in, but we have to remember and keep things in perspective. This is one little pie. Um, but this is not the whole of me. The whole of me is, is, um, my ministry at church and my four kids and my relationship to my friends and um, how am I giving back to the community and all these different things. Uh, so uh, I wish I had learned that and kept that in perspective as my career started to take off um, instead of filling so much of my pie chart with, with that career because it was going well and because it was successful and you want to keep putting in where things are successful, but remembering that God calls you to be a holistic um, and not just um, focused on one aspect of his gift to you. So uh, remember all the gifts that God has given you and, and all your callings, not just mm -hmm. successful in one area of your life. Wow. That's great. Some good advice for all of us, I think, no matter where we're at. So thank you again for your time. Thank you for just your transparency and being willing to answer and talk about your journey. And uh, I, I wish you the best. You said four kids. 
I do have four kids. I do. We didn't talk about, we didn't come back to the fact that you were pregnant, you know, eight months pregnant when you resigned and now have a baby, but I didn't realize you had four kids. So congratulations on, on that. And thank you again for your time. And I hope that your job continues to be successful as well as the rest of your ministry and your family and all of the rest of the pie that you just um, so eloquently described. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. It was so lovely to meet you. I'm so glad to know another alumni now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. Thank you.